Hey guys, you're now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. of this cool yeah that's the easy part all right y'all so we are currently in the midst of a series does anybody know what we're talking about right now we're still talking about prayer right? still talking about prayer um, so yeah, we've had two weeks of this. We were off last week. Uh, so the first week, do y'all remember what we talked about first week? Uh, the importance of journaling. Ah, dang it! No, that was week two. Fasting. Oh, no, I, oh, I wasn't fasting. here for. You weren't here for fasting. That was a good one. No, you were. That was a good podcast. Yeah. Yep. So we did fasting. Um, does anybody remember anything from that one? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Will you remember? Is it up on the podcast? Not yet. I've got it recorded. It'll be there by Christmas. It'll trust. be there. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey. I got this. Trust. Pretty soon it's going to be... Uh, huh? Pretty soon where the podcast is concerned, we're just playing the game. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Um, yeah, okay, we'll talk afterwards. Okay. Um... Oh, yeah, so, well, yeah, I was waiting to see if you remembered anything from fasting. We remember lots of stuff. Why, what do you remember? Why, why do we fast? <laughs> to replace food with seeking God. Uh-huh. And to say no to our body's desire. Right. Yep. Someone take the torch. Yeah, no, you're good, you're good. We'll think about that sums it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about corporate fasting. Talked about corporate fasting. fasting. Yep, yep. And the big reason we're not doing a corporate fast is because I don't feel like most of us fast in our normal lives. So uh, I want us. I wouldn't want us to go do something corporately that we can't do individually. So we're corporately individually fasting is what we're trying to practice. We also generally want to do it with a purpose. Right, a specific purpose. Right, exactly. Right, so. Um, yeah, fasting, we talked about it. Um, basically, we talked about that fasting is biblical, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a good thing. Um, I wrote down that fasting's a lifestyle, not a phase, Mom. Uh, it's not just something we do when we're feeling uh, like, oh, you know what, I'm kind of bored. It's, I guess it's time to fast. But fasting should be a, a, a part of our, I, almost, I would beg to say, weekly routine with the Lord. Um, you know, obviously do as you feel led by the Lord, um, but both Jewish people, all throughout the Old Testament, they practice fasting twice a week, and then uh, early Christians, uh, they fasted two times a week as well. They just made sure they didn't do it on the same day as the Jews because, well, they had a lot of tension. <laughs> so, uh, but they were fasting twice a week, and there was days where there was like a purpose to it, and then there's days where it was just like, okay, my purpose is just to like fix my eyes on you. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just think it's a, a practice that is very much lost in our modern culture. 
of fasting because we're used to three <coughs> meals a day, you know, some of us four or five. Um, and fasting is a good way to pause from that. Um, and it's a way of humbling ourselves and coming to the Lord and saying like, without food, I'm weak. Look at, <laughs> I can't do this. I can't even go like eight hours, Lord, without being hungry. But you are made strong in my weakness. And so, um, yeah, so we talked about that. We talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago, Monica shared on having a relationship with the Holy Spirit um, or hearing God's voice. Um, does anybody remember anything from that? I've already shown the journaling, so. Yeah, you did say. I you did say journaling. <laughs> yep. I had a 102 fever. Oh, yeah, so that's, that's right. That's all I remember. Y'all were sick. Cam, you were here, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you so quiet? Cam's always normally quiet. <laughs> That's true. Cat's got his tongue. Cat's got his tongue. No, oh, I'm sorry. That was because so crazy. On Sunday morning, I, Monica taught on hearing from the voice of the Lord, and we've heard lots of teachings on this, but it was a really good, refreshing thing um, to hear. She, a couple points that she made is that God, God is always speaking to us. Um, and he delights in that. But he also delights in us speaking back to him. And us like saying things back to him. Talking to him. He delights when we are like, okay, God, I'm waking up early tomorrow morning and I'm going to spend time with you. Like, it doesn't have to be morning. It could be any devoted amount of time. Um, and it's like the Lord's heart like leaps. He gets excited. You know, it was, uh, that was just part of the routine in the garden. Was spending time with him. Um. She also said, and I really like this quote, that God doesn't just desire um, closeness with us, but his desire is oneness with us. Um, and I love that. That points to the uh, John 17, where Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross. And his last prayer is that, the high priestly prayer where he prays, Father, these people that you've given me, let them be one with me as I'm one with you, so that they can be one with us. I mean, it's a, the whole thing, it's like ten verses. Where he's just like, oneness, 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 oneness. And it's this invitation into relationship with the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And being a part of God's divine family. And that's what it's all about. Um, and then Monica said that uh, she wants us to be a church that accepts the blood of the Lamb. And does not live as though we are not worthy of the blood that he spilled. And I think that's a really good one. Um, because I think we can oftentimes look at ourselves and go... You know, I'm, I'm a speck. You know, I'm a speck. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, God said that you are worth the blood of his son. And so we have to hold that in, in, uh, in our heads that God says we are worthy. And so worthy that he would pay the highest price for us. Um, so I, as, that will all be up on the podcast. I thought Monica did a great job. I mean, honestly, it was... That's like one of my favorite... Uh, um, so, does anybody have any guesses of what we're going to talk about today? Prayer. Prayer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about intercession. Yeah, I thought it was nice. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, I, I could see it in your head. Just... Not imprecatory? Not imprecatory. I'm waiting on you. <laughs> Um, so before we go into intercession, let's, uh, let's pray and just ask the Lord to speak.
Um, so, Father, we just love you. We give this time to you. We give our day to you. Um, we just ask you to move in our midst, Father. Um, Father, I just pray that my words would be your words, um, that you would turn a light on in each one of our heads, that as, as the truth is spoken, that um, our hearts would align with the truth and that we would be set on fire for the truth. Um, I pray that every person would walk away with a renewed desire for prayer um, after our talk today. So, um, yeah, we just love you and we glorify you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, A to the men. All right. What is intercession? And this is a question for y'all to answer. Didn't get it. It is uh, praying in favor of someone else. Mm hmm. Yep. I guess probably the best way I can describe that. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else have anything to add to that? It's not just for people, mm-hmm. right? Couldn't you intercede over, like, situations? Yeah, you intercede over, like, wars, famine, yeah. right. um, poverty, right. government, cities, government. government. Yeah. I'd, I'd argue that the best biblical example of it is the priest going before the Lord on behalf of the sin of Israel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's like the Day of Atonement stuff. Yeah, well, that's what like intercession to me is like um, is a very intentional form of prayer. Uh-huh. So it's like you know, obviously, us praying over today is not like interceding for the day. Right, right. But like when you're like, okay, like there's this, you know, this person or this situation or this thing that like, unless God does something, right, like it's gonna be very, very bad. So yeah, like yeah. we are like said, it's kind of like fasting where you're setting aside that specific time. Yes. To like talk to the Spirit about that. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I love the way you put that. That like, we uh, There's a lot of times people will put prayer all in one thing. They'll just yeah. say, I'm praying. But there are so many different facets to prayer. And so like, it's very important to recognize that intercession is a very specific type of prayer. Meaning it requires a specific like skill set. Or like a, uh, you've practiced it in a certain way. Or you pray differently when you intercede than when you're you know, just speaking to the Lord and spending time with him. Would, so your prayer's going to be a little different. I would also say that it's, it's like probably one of the most intense form of prayers sure. too in terms of like warfare that accompanies warfare. it. Yeah. Accompanies it. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Intercession is a huge... Uh, it's entering into the spiritual battle is what it is. Um, yeah, good, good. I like all this response. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got notes, which I don't normally do, so I'm getting better at this. My hope is to one day be so good with notes that I can send everyone a PDF of my notes so you can have it. And then we could skip Sunday. And then you could skip Sunday because, you know, you won't need me. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. Just throwing this out there, you can already do that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's just my notes aren't always, uh, finished. So if I sent you a PDF, you would go... He did, said what out of this? Like, <laughs> it's just a bunch of emojis. <laughs> God is good. Find the meaning. This is the code. I know what it is. Oh, uh, so I just want to make a couple points before this, and I, I think my prayer and desire for today would be that each one of us would see and recognize the role of intercession in our life. That 
It's not just meant for the kooky old lady down the street who's got no time on her hands. That's oftentimes what I think people think of when they think of intercessors. Is kooky person who all they do is pray. But intercession is, real quick, intercession is something for each Christian. It's something we're all called to. You go ahead. Uh, so going off of like what Erica was saying like yeah. with it being like kind of going on hand in hand with fasting. Uh-huh. I've never really kind of thought about intercession that way. So uh-huh. is there a stark difference, you would say, between fasting and being interceded? They, they, they are two different things, but they can be the same. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, fasting isn't always necessarily intercession, but it can be. Sure. So um, I guess the best way to describe it is, like, what what is your fast for? Like, when the Lord calls you to fast, are you doing a normal fast where you're like, I'm doing this because it's a discipline unto the Lord, and I want to humble myself, and I want to hear from Him just to hear from Him? Or am I fasting over a specific situation? Uh, Daniel is a really good example of that, because Daniel, uh, it says that there was a time of uh, uh, mourning. There's a lot of times in the Old Testament when it talks about mourning, and mourning is often connected to fasting. Um, but Daniel does his 21-day fast, you know, the famous one we all where he, you know, eats only, he's basically on a restricted diet. And it's not until the 21st day that an angel appears to him. And the angel's like, you know, I, I heard your prayers the first day you started praying, but I was resisted and by the a certain principality. And it wasn't until the angel Michael came and helped fight the battle with me that I was able to get loose and come towards you. I mean, that's like spiritual warfare. Sure. So, yes, I think they are tied together oftentimes, but it's not necessarily the same thing. Gotcha. Not every time you intercede are you going to be fasting. Not every time you fast. And not every time you fast are you going to be interceding. That's the best way to put it. Um, so, yeah, my de- desire is that there would be a fire woken up in each one of us. I think there's going to be at least one or two people in our church that really take on the call of intercession um, that are like, this is, I feel like the Lord is calling me to this. Um, But I also feel like all of us should hear and listen and put this, make this a part of our lives. Um, So a couple key points I want to make before we go into the full teaching is number one, God delights in showing mercy. That is a, a key truth. God delights in showing mercy. Uh, Number two, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Number three, intercession is a role uniquely played by humans on behalf of other humans. So we don't see angels interceding. We see humans interceding. interceding. Push back to that, we do also see Christ interceding. Right, as a at human. The right hand of the Father. Yeah, as a man. He is a man. Yes. Yes. You're, you're, I, I see where you're going. Well, but he's still a man. Doesn't scripture say that, like, now he sits at the right hand of yes. God Hebrews. interceding yeah. for mm-hmm. us? He lives is that ever still to this day. A, is that still a man state or in the God state? I still believe he's a 100% man. 100% human. He's both. He's both. Yeah, 100% man and 100% divine. Sorry. Thank you, Cam. <laughs> Yeah, he's both. In he's in the heavenly. confusing, we have the same name, his is spelled with a K. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then number four, this is the role of the intercessor. The role of the intercessor is to know God's character 
agree with his judgments, and pray for mercy to be given to those who don't deserve it. I'm going to say that again. There's three things that is the role of the intercessors to know God's character, to agree with his judgments, and to pray for mercy to be given to those who don't deserve it. That will flesh itself out as we go through some of the stories. Uh, I do want to go through a verse first before we go into this. It's uh, in James. So if you've got your Bible, pull up James. James, the brother of Jesus. James chapter 5. I don't normally do this, but we're only going to read one verse. I know, isn't that crazy? I'll give you the context. Thank you. You're welcome. The context context is James talking about praying for healing. Um, You know, in verse 13 talks about, Is any of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Um, Might as well read the whole thing. But basically, this is uh, talking about prayer for people in the church, specifically with healing, but also with other things, such as um, cheering people up and... um, confession and yeah let's just read the whole thing yeah I should have known I'm just a silly person to think that we're gonna not read the whole thing alright somebody read Ephesians 5 or sorry Ephesians James 5 verse 13 through uh, let's do 18 I could do that alright this is NIV fair warning or should I do King James? No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Cool. All right, so we read all that context, but the verse I really want to focus on is verse 16, uh, portion B of the verse. It says, The effectual... Well, in the King James, this is how I've memorized it because it's been drilled in my head for a long time. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I love how that's written. I think that's so good. Um, <clears throat> other, I've got the, I guess this is New King James. Yeah. This one just says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Um, this, I think, is a key passage when it comes to prayer, especially intercession because intercession is praying expecting an answer slash expecting results um this verse teaches us three things number one god wants my prayers to be effective that's a big deal he doesn't just want us to pray whatever and just hope it sticks you know um there's a bunch of people that in church they just pray what they've heard in church um and i've been guilty of it to just pray things that sound familiar and like i'm hitting all the right things but I'm not worried about whether it's effective or not. And I think that's a, a massive oversight by a lot of people because God doesn't just want us to pray prayers to, to hear ourselves speak the right things. He wants us to pray prayers that are effective, that bring results. 
Every, I wrote down, every unanswered prayer is an invitation to press into the Father and to see what He's saying. So when we have un- unanswered prayers, um, like earlier when we prayed for Carol, like we prayed, you didn't feel anything necessarily, I'm not going to give up. And I don't think you are either. We're going to keep asking questions. We're going to keep praying, you know, and we, because we're not willing to just say, we prayed once, you know, if God wanted to do it, He would have done it, so we're just done now. Like, we're, we're going to keep knocking on his door because that's what he asks us to do. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Yep, that's um, Thessalonians. The widow and the judge. What's that? The parable of the widow and the judge. The widow and the judge. I'm trying to remember that yeah. one. It's a, basically a uh, stubborn judge who... I don't remember if, if he's doing anything in mm-hmm. particular, but the widow comes and knocks on his door regularly right. and wears him down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah, it's God is inviting us to be annoying. <laughs> like God, seriously, God is inviting us to say, hey, you said, hey, you said that this is what you would do. And... I'm not trying to force you. Like, this isn't... Don't get me wrong. God's not inviting us to twist his arm behind his back and put him in the... We're not disrespecting him. All we're doing is saying, you said it, we believe it, and we want to see you do it. We don't know how you're going to do it. We're just calling you on it. That's what you've invited us to. So, God's inviting us into... uh, Maybe not just being annoying, but following up. Knocking on his door. Keep going after it. Um, see, see, that's really interesting because, like, some of the churches that like I've been in before doing enrichment always would be like, you know, have have great faith because, you know, God hears all your requests and right. they're already made known to Him before you. Right. You know, just taking like different scriptures and so like, for us when we started doing like victims, it was really annoying to where people would be like, oh, the reason that you have anxiety is because you don't have enough faith. Right. Right. Um, so, like, hearing you, and there's a part of me that I feel like is still, like, hammered into that routine of, like, all right, God, I'm going to pray for this once. You said you're going to do it. But, like, it's it's refreshing to hear, like, to be persistent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Persistence is key. I think a big reason that the church today is not persistent is because we're afraid that we're not going to get an answer. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's it would be less painful to even ask in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's easier for us to just recite a bunch of prayers to him and then say, well, I prayed. Like, now it's on him. But you, when you follow what the Lord's asked you to do, when you persist, you're entering into a realm of, like, toiling with the Lord. You're putting your heart on the line, laying your heart on the altar, because you're saying, Father, this, this is my desire. I'm bearing my heart to you. You're putting your heart and your trust in his hands. And that takes a lot of trust. Like uh, Dick was talking about earlier, you still haven't learned to trust me, have you? Mm-hmm. You know, but that's what prayer is, is being basically naked before the Lord, giving him everything, being transparent and vulnerable to him. Can, um, can I add something? Go ahead. So on the, on the way here, actually, we were doing a reading for the like Bible in a Year plan. Yeah. And it was the part where the Israelites... Uh, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. Oh, dang. I'll let it go then. It's okay. No, you, you, you go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I literally so looked at the daily plan today because I haven't done it in like a week and a half. 
And I was like, huh, that's hilarious. You I'm using that verse song. already. So Yeah, okay, well never We mind. are gonna talk about that. So cool. it just I drew that just now because yes. that's what he did. Yes. No spoiler. I feel like in my own experience also, the more persistent I am in encountering the Lord, my prayer will change along the way. So that might not be the case for every time I pray, but like usually the more I'm encountering him, the more I see what he actually wants. So I feel like Instead of just like, let me ask once and then drop it. Yeah. It's like, I want to get to know his heart more. Yeah. And he wants to know my heart more yeah. too. 100%. Um, yeah, so that that's just point one. <laughs> Crazy. <clears throat> Number one, God wants our prayers to be effective. He desires our prayers to be effective. Number two, God wants me to be diligent in the place of prayer. The effectual fervent. Fervent is another word for diligence. The effectual fervent prayer. So not the effectual <coughs> once every month prayer. Not the effectual, you know, when I feel like a prayer. Not the effectual, uh, you know, lapse of judgment prayer. You know, whatever. Uh, it's the effectual fervent prayer that God is looking for. Um, I'm going to take a step further and say it's not a, it's not a synonym for diligence. Uh-huh. It is... Uh, Having or displaying a passionate intensity. Yeah. It's more than diligent. It, probably. I think that's a really good point. Is that the Strong's? Where's Google? Google? Okay. Okay. Cool, cool. I was like, I was just curious. Not right. Yeah, it, it, it does take diligence a step ahead. Yeah. I, I like the word diligence because it, it to me it's responsibly uh, taking on like the things that you're called to. Diligence is good because it's faithful. Right. But there's Word something that separates it. adds like an emotive. It's the, and an urgency yeah. of the heart. Like, and it also feels like chaotic. Yeah. Or like yeah. sporadic. Right. So God is desiring uh, that our prayers be effective and that they be diligent. Mm-hmm. How many of you are diligent in praying? Let's say daily. I'm, I'm, yeah. I think I'm, I'm kind of there, you know. I wish I could say it. Okay, not just answering before people, but if you were to stand before God today and he asked you, were you diligent in the place of prayer? How many of us could say yes? <laughs> I couldn't, just being honest. I'm growing. And I, I don't feel think... like I have like good days. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and none of this is to make you feel bad. It's just a thing of showing where we fall short. And we have to know where we fall short in order to uh, walk into the greater things that God calls us to. I would even say that, like, uh, in the context of this verse, you know, you're marking on, like, you're specifically looking at the second half of the verse. Right. But, like, I would also, given the context of where that is in the larger grand scale, yes. um, having a pure heart also, too, yeah. counts because the 100%. verse actually starts off, therefore, confess, confess your sins on one another. Yeah. Um, so like you talked about being health earlier mm-hmm. where it's like you're looking at like where things like uh i don't know certain diseases are linked to like certain like jealousy is rooted or not jealousy um weakened bones is rooted to jealousy mm-hmm. yeah. so it's like it's like you, you're like again like if you want to see the and it's not only for being persistent but it's being pure heart so it, like yeah it's the humble, yeah. uh, humbling yeah. your own self yeah. mm-hmm. that uh, God's looking for. God's looking for a, a people who are humble before him. He doesn't want 
somebody who's full of pride to take on his name because his nature isn't pride. God's nature is humility. That's Philippians 2, where Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus came and he's in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be attained. Instead, he came in the form of a servant and he emptied himself. I mean, that is like, oh, that's what God's looking for as a people who are, would say, yeah, I'm messed up and I confess my sins to, to people, but that's to keep my heart pure, to know that this isn't about me, it's about how good God is. Um, so, yes, this, I'm, this is good. Um, the third point I wanted to make from that verse is God wants your prayers to accomplish things. We already talked about the effectiveness thing, but uh, the, the, I just think this is a yeah, duh thing that so much of us overlook because it's way easier to pray prayers into the void thinking, I, well, I checked it off my sheet. I, I checked that off my list. I did what I was supposed to do, God, and now it's on you. But God's not calling us to just pray a couple prayers and then just hope that something happens. He's calling us to enter into uh, labor and toil in the place of prayer with him. You know, we talked about Jesus is seated right now in heaven at the, the right hand of the Father. It says that he's in the, the heavenly tabernacle and daily he's making supplications and interceding for us on our behalf. Um, but then Ephesians also talks about our position in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And so it's just a natural inclination to say we are... Once we've uh, received the gospel and we're walking with him, part of our responsibility is to pray with him, to pray from that place with him. I'm not saying we're up in heaven right now and start floating and flip around. I'm just saying we are here on this earth for a reason, yeah. and that's to bring the gospel and the kingdom to the earth you, uh, and partner with him. So. You mentioned the last few words. So like in the original... Um the uh, that that phrase the mighty accomplish uh-huh. as a, uh, I, uh, avails much the effective accomplish uh, means to be active and to be efficient yeah um, so give this like the prayer life the life of prayer is something that like should always be like act something that's like active something that's like continuously going right and something that we also you know, it's so funny because we, like, if your car, if you were driving your car up the street and it broke down, like, three times on the way up the street, you wouldn't sit there and go, ah, oh, we just got to keep going. We just got to keep trucking. You know, we're supposed to keep trucking. This car's supposed to get us there. No, you would say, I need to get this thing fixed. I need to service this thing. I need to see what's going on with this car. Why does it keep breaking down? Because it's destroying the effectiveness. My five-minute trip up to Wawa has now taken me three hours. <laughs> and so I think there's a lot of times in prayer where we do the same thing, where we pray a bunch of prayers, but we don't stop when things aren't working. We don't ask ourselves, like, okay, am I doing something wrong? Or am I praying from a right? Am I, do I have the whole picture, God? Like, what are you trying to do in this moment? You know, maybe he is just making us wait, but maybe there's something he's asking us to, like, come and knock on his door and talk to him about. <laughs> And I don't think we all do that very often. So, all right, let's get into some more scripture. Genesis 18. And we're going to go to verse 16 through 33. We're not going to read this whole 
whole thing because it's a long chapter. I did write another thing down as we're flipping. It's that prayer is also always meant to be constant and consistent. Um, and I love that Carol brought up the uh, pray without ceasing because that was a verse I wrote down for that. It's 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Um, I think there's something to building a history with God in the place of prayer. Daniel and John are like two of my favorite examples from the Bible where Daniel had such a history with prayer that when the the king Cyrus came in and they changed the law that you couldn't pray to any other gods but, you know, uh, the god of Babylon at that time, whoever that was. Um, Daniel's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like goes up into his prayer room, leaves the window open because he's praying towards Jerusalem, and he's just there because he's always he prays three times a day. He's built a habit. He's just like this isn't changing, mm-hmm. uh, and that ends up in the latter parts of his life, resulting in the father giving him trusting him with some of the like heaviest revelations of like scripture. You know, did you know that Daniel was able to predict the exact day? Uh, that Christ would be born, and it wasn't. It wasn't because Daniel did it. It was because an angel of the Lord shared it with him. But the Lord shared that with him. It's crazy. So, and then John. John was on the Isle of Patmos. He says when he started to pray, that's when he started seeing this vision. He was entering a place of prayer. So there's something about a history of prayer. We're not praying to get these heavy revelations, but something that naturally happens is that the Lord begins to trust us. Um, and something we're going to see from these other stories is that when God's desiring to bring judgment on the earth, he first goes to- and talks to his friends, most often. He goes to them and says, hey, I'm about to do this thing. And gives them a chance to say, but. <laughs> so, I won't go too far. Let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, Genesis 18, um, who wants to read that? 16 through 33. You got it, Josh? Yeah, I got it. All right, so I'm going to give the context real quick. This is the story where, it's a crazy story, the Lord appears to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, and he comes with two angels. It's actually the angel of the Lord. Um, And Abraham's like, oh my gosh, you know, don't pass by. Like, come on in. Like, come hang out with us. And he tells Sarah to, you know, whip up some food for these guys. And uh, that's when the, I think the angel of the Lord says something about her being pregnant or she's going to be pregnant and have a son, and she laughs, and he goes, why are you laughing? <laughs> and she goes, I wasn't laughing. He goes, but you were. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it ends. <laughs> I, I think that is just so funny that that's like left in the God story. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he doesn't leave it. He just says, but you did laugh. <laughs> so now we're in verse 16 through 33. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. Then the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, 
is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry they have come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went down to Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, again he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found here. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let me, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have under taken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found here. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found here. He said, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went the, his way and he found, when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Nice. So, what stands out to you guys in that passage? Being bold. Yeah. That's bold. Yeah. Oh, Lord, please don't be angry. Let me ask you, like, eight questions to really get to what <laughs> I want. Since I'm already asking you. Yeah. <laughs> Since we already said five, what's five more? You know? I love verse uh, 22 into 23. It says, uh, the men turned away from there, and that's the two angels that are with the Lord. Uh, but then it says, they went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then the beginning of verse 23 says, and Abraham came near to the Lord and said, and that's when he starts to step in. Makes me think of a lot of things. One, why did the Lord stay there? Mm-hmm. Unless it was an invitation. He stayed. Um, number two, Abraham, Abraham's got a long history with the Lord. Like, he sees these crazy-looking men show up. You know, they're, they're angels, you know. But he recognized them already. But that's because Abraham has history with the Lord. He's seen him. He's walked with him. And so now, like, he's got the boldness. Because of his history with the Lord, he does have the boldness to stand before him and say, Okay, I know this might make you angry. Your judgment is good. Because he says, he, he never says anything about, these are bad people that they just don't know. He, he says, these are wicked people. He says, but are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? That doesn't sound like your character. You love when people do right. So, 
and he takes them from there. If there's 50 righteous, if there's 45 righteous, if there's 30 right, you know, it goes all the way down to 10. Uh, and the Lord is like, yeah, that's a good point. I am about that. Not like the Lord didn't know that. Well, they had a relationship. They had a relationship. Right. And that's, that's what that, exactly. that he's free enough to be able to say back to the Lord. Yes. Were you going to do this? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what he wants for us. A hundred percent. You're like nailing it. Is that the Lord wants relationship with us. You know, ask. Feel free to ask. If you ask the wrong thing, trust. He's going to put you in your place. He's still going to love you, yeah. but he's still going to shoot it down. He's going to correct you. He's going to correct you, exactly. He's going to tell you, like, uh, uh, I think of Job. You know, stand up before me like a man. Brace yourself. Yeah. Because I'm about to hit you with some real stuff. <laughs> well, you, like, you, I don't know if this was the thing you were going to bring up earlier, but, like, the... Um, there's a part in Exodus too where like uh, God is like ready to like wipe out yep. Israel. That's the next part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I stopped. I literally was going. Uh, Moses is just like slow your ropes there. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Uh, and like Hebrews talks about like entering into the the throne room with like mm-hmm. boldness, boldness, depending on the translation. Some also say with confidence. confidence. Um, and so you like you talk about like these two passages being like talking to God of boldness, like. Are, are we, like, what would you say, like, that most of, like, people that are, like, trained in, like, the Western church are, like, trained to pray timidly? Because mm-hmm. you have this, like, reverence of God. It's, like, it's good to have that reverence, but yeah. I feel like that reverence is just kind of, like, you don't have this kind of boldness. Yeah. I, I think we've tried to separate the two in a lot of churches where you're either, there's two camps where you're either really reverent towards the Lord and you, you have to be really careful when you come up close to him because, you know, you could die in any second because you're so holy and you're, I'm just a speck. And then there's the other side of people who are like, oh, yeah, he's my papa, daddy, God. You know, we're best friends and all that stuff. And, they, you know, I think what's happened is we've chosen two sides and missed the whole picture is that God wants a people who are reverent towards him but are his friends. Mm-hmm. That we're both, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think that's really what this this is what we can learn about our own church in the West is that uh, we do pray, pray really weak prayers but it's because we haven't learned two things one healthy fear of the Lord and two uh, our our own relationship with the Lord like the way he views us mm-hmm. and the relationship he wants to have with us mm-hmm. you know it's a form of pride to say no Jesus no like I'm too filthy and sinful. That's pride. Mm-hmm. When God would say, I want to to work on this with you. It almost feels also like that the Lord uses situations where you intercede or speak to him to, to kind of maybe not change his plans, but just convince him to do something else. Yeah. It feels like he takes it as your relationship with him growing because Moses did it twice, very boldly. Yes. And... Um, it, it seemed like the Lord had his mind set on something, but allowed Moses to give his two cents and change his mind, and did it in a, not in a way where the Lord was like, man, I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have said that, I'm wrong. Right. It almost seemed like he said something to allow Moses to step closer to him uh, to grow their relationship, yep. not, not just to boost his ego, or Moses' ego or anything. 
All right. It seemed like it was it was helping him grow yes. towards the Lord. Yes. Let's go there. Let's go to that chapter. So Exodus 32. Uh, you're you're right on. You guys are just you're so studious already. You, could, you <laughs> sure you didn't share the notes? Yeah. I, I got the list of emojis last night, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Exodus what? Exodus 32. What uh, what verse you starting in? One through fourteen. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Um, somebody else want to read that for me? <clears throat> Just as a context, uh, this is Exodus. So the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt. The great salvation of the whole people group, uh, brought out of Egypt, led out by Moses, but really by the Lord, uh, the Lord's hand. And so then, uh, this whole scene. Leading up to it is the, the Mount Sinai scene where God is making a covenant with the Israelite people. And this isn't a covenant he's forcing on them, saying, you have to do this. He asks them, are you willing? And the people say, yes, we're willing. We've seen what you did in Egypt, and we're going to follow you because you did this. Basically, when you really boil it down and break down that whole Mount Sinai thing, it's a marriage covenant. It, it looks exactly like a Jewish marriage covenant. Um, and so... I want us to read it with this lens is that they just had this big marriage ceremony where the Lord showed off on the, on the mountain. He came down in fire and lightning and all this stuff and the people you know, stood back and they received him as their God and they're saying yes, we're going to be faithful to you and God's saying, and yeah, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to go before you and fight for you because I'm the man. Like, I love you. You're my people, and I'm going to take care of you. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, this is the picture, and then this is what happens. Yeah. They hadn't even finished the covenant, and they already messed up. Uh, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold that are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a grave, graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you uh, up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall, uh, shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the, next, early the next day and burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you but Moses implored the Lord his God and said O Lord why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore 
your own self uh, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he has spoken of bringing on his people. Mm. Yeah, this is such a good story. What stands out to y'all? The what? The pronoun usage. Okay. <coughs> it goes, hey, those people you brought out of Egypt. Right. right. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. The people you brought out of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's very interesting. It's like the Lord is inviting Moses as an intercessor to enter into the place of like not that he is the Lord, but he's feel the position of what I'm doing. This is your people. And now they turn from you. You know, I'm not, Moses was not God. Absolutely not. He was a man. He fumbled the bag many times. Uh, but um, it is interesting how the Lord uses certain phrasing to make him think. Your people, you brought all the way out here. Now they're turning from you. What else stands out? He wasn't going to break his promise mm. at all. He was just going to change the way or the people included in the promise. Right. But his promise was never going to be broken. Mm. Regardless of how bad probably we would have wanted to break the promise. Right. Whatever. Right. But he, his plan was still to fulfill it with the Israelites, just not that group. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how Moses was like, like, hey, wait a second, wait a second. If you burn your people, what does that tell the Egyptians about you? Like, yes. I saved my people only to kill them because they're dumb. Right, like, right. They're your people, God. Some God. Yeah. Yeah. When you, um, when you go through the Old Testament scripture, you see that there is a, a theme of God proving to other nations in to whatever their gods are, that he is God over all. Yahweh is God over all. In Exodus, every plague was directed at a certain god of the Egyptians. Um, that's very intentional. He's doing things that... Yeah, you go down the list. And that's why... Yeah, yeah, it's cool thing to start. They worship the Nile as like a god. It's the first one he goes after. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So... God has this giant showdown with the other gods and proves himself to be greater than all the other gods. Mm -hmm. And so Moses is saying, God, your honor's at stake here. He's saying, he's not saying, these people are good, they just don't get it. Like, you know, no, no. What he's saying is, your judgment's right. They probably should be burned up to a crisp, Mm -hmm. you know. But your honor's at stake here. What will the nation say? Yeah. You know? And the really interesting thing to see is that it says that God relents from the, the calamity that he planned, where he basically he was going to come down and fire and burn them all up. Kind of like, probably similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, he wasn't going to flood the earth again. So. Right, he wasn't going to flood it. He <laughs> said, let my anger burn so that I may consume them. So, you know, we can kind of put two and two together. Uh, the people did not get saved from judgment ultimately 
go to the end of the chapter when Moses comes down and sets everything straight. And I think it's the, uh, let's see, the last verse. Verse 35. So the Lord plagued, plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So, they still received the plague. And you know what? Even more than that, they still spent 40 years in the desert and every single one of those people did not enter into the, into the promises. So God's judgment prevailed and God's judgment was good. This is also after Moses comes down and gets, gets angry with them. And grinds up the calf, throws it in the water and makes them drink it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Moses is angry to say the least. The Lord's mineral water. So, but this is, I said it earlier that we, we uh, and the role of the intercessor is to know God's character, to understand his judgments and that they're good and agree with them, but to pray for mercy. So Moses knows God's character. He's gotten to see, he got to see God's backside. You know, he saw God's glory up in the cleft of the mountain. Um, and then he, he knows that God's judgment is good. Once again, he does not disagree with God about what he wants to do. But what he says is, I appeal for mercy for the people. And what Moses ends up doing is buying 40, a 40-year 40 window for the people to reflect and repent of their disobedience and for them to raise their kids in a godly way so that this, this type of behavior does not get... Uh, uh, passed on. Doesn't get passed on through the generations, exactly. Um, and so Moses secures mercy for a remnant. And that is what is the role of the intercessor. Um, <laughs> she's a lady. What is she saying? Serious? Like she's serious. Yeah, she's very serious. Um, so does that all make sense? Does that, you see, Abraham did the same thing. He, he saw that God's judgment was good. He agreed with it. But what he said was, like, I, I, I want mercy for a remnant. And he secured mercy for a remnant. And that was the Lot and his family. I mean, Lot and his family didn't even want to leave. When you read the story, the angels are like, come on! They throw him up over their shoulder, and Lot's wife turns around, and, you know, she disintegrates. Um, turns into a pillar of salt. And turns into a pillar of salt. Um, so, and now I just want to go to, like, the... Obviously, this is the Sunday school answer, but who is the ultimate intercessor? Christ. Christ. We did all this hard work to get to there. But the thing that's different about Jesus is that he wasn't, he's a man, but he's not in the same state that we are, where we're sinful men, you know, praying on behalf of other sinful men. Jesus never sinned. Um, And his life lived was intercession. He wasn't just praying prayers, but his whole life. So when we look at the cross, um, the cross screams this phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. That his mercy triumphs over judgment. That, you know, and, and the, the thing I love about God is, I keep saying this thing, his judgments are good, his judgments are good. And we go, yeah, I, I think I get that. But Jesus himself because of how good God's judgment was, underwent God's judgment for us on our behalf so that we didn't have to. Every bit of God's judgment was poured out on Christ. And that's why he's on the cross. And you know what he says when he's up on the cross? When the people are still, they they put him on the cross, they've beaten him for 
he's done nothing wrong his entire life. And, and he's done nothing but help. He's been done nothing but good. And they hang him on the cross. And they jeer. And they're casting lots and selling off his clothes for money. And you, what does Jesus say when he's up on the cross? Does anybody remember? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's the, the prayer of intercession, baby. That's the, these people are foolish and dumb. They don't deserve your grace, but I'm going to stand in for them. I'm going to take their place. And I'm going to say, pour it out on me. I'll take it for them. Jesus basically said, my life for theirs. That's crazy. That's nuts. I think, man, uh, in all our learning and growing as Christians, we cannot lose sight of the gospel message. Because that is like what everything hinges on. And when we look at the cross, it screams, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. So, what does this mean for us? Um, how do we practice being intercessors? Well, I think we've kind of laid out a really good uh, thesis just from Scripture, which is... You know, a good way to live your life. We believe in the scripture. Uh, is that, one, we, we get to know God. We've got to build a history with him. And that, that takes time. That takes sacrifice. That takes uh, willingness on our part. You know, you can't expect to go and stand before the Lord and ask him to do something when you hardly ever spend time with him. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's this rude man, but... He wants your attention more than he wants to answer your prayer. He wants your heart more than he wants to answer your prayer. He does want to answer your prayer. He wants your heart first. We can't treat him as, you know, my 7-Eleven convenience store. I need a Slurpee today. Here's my money. I did my time, you know, and now I walk out with what I want. He's very countercultural to us because he is not about instant gratification. He wants to, to live a life lived with you. Um, and so we have to learn and build time in our lives to where we are focusing on him. And I would, I'm like, I'm almost to the point where I'm ready to say like, let's get up at 6 a.m. Or let, if you're a night person, let's get up at, you know, stay up till 11 o'clock midnight at night, just praying, just spending time with him, just waiting to hear from him. Um, because what you're doing in that moment, it's not that you're just doing all the right things and coming to class and like the Lord's going to bless you because you did all the right things, but you're building up trust with the Lord and you're showing him, hey God, I can be a good steward of the things you want to give. If you want to give it to me, I'll steward it well. You can trust me with this. And that's how you develop a relationship with the Lord where he, he's a friend with you. And before there's a judgment in the earth, like... This is the same God that we worship today. There will be more judgments. With eschatology in mind, like the end times, that Jesus, some of the greatest judgments that have ever been released on the earth are coming soon. Sooner than later. But with great unprecedented unprecedented judgment comes unprecedented mercy. God wants to release mercy in the earth in a hugely powerful way. And are we going to be ready? To be the ones interceding for that. He's entrusted us with the gospel. He's entrusted us with the kingdom. He wants to work with us with this. 
are we ready to do that? And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Um, number two is uh, knowing his judgments. Like, especially, you know, we, we talked about the end times thing. I think there is a call in the church right now to responsible uh, learning of what the book of Revelation lays out. And there's, you know, tons of mixed feelings on the book. Some people say avoid it at all costs because everything works out in the end. And then there's other people that say, you know, you have to read the Revelation because we're living the days right now. And, you know, I'm not going to say one way or the other, but what I am going to say is that God entrusted us with this whole revelation, this whole book and passage, not for us to just simply put it on a shelf. He entrusted us with it, and he wants us to learn it responsibly. So that we can better bring the kingdom here to earth. So that we can better preach the gospel message here on earth. So, I'm not calling us to be a bunch of uh, doomsday preppers or anything like that. What I am saying is that Watch and pray, just like the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. Watch and pray. Jesus in Matthew 24, or it's 24 or 25, I can't remember. But he's like, you know, you people are so, like, basically stupid. He's like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you see a pink sky, and you say, oh, sailor's delight. You know, and you see the, he says something else. It's another thing of like, you can read the signs of like the weather, but you can't discern the signs of the times. He says you can't discern like the times that you're living in. And, and I, I don't want us to be that generation. We are called to intercessory prayer so that we can pray for mercy on, on the people around us in all of our spheres, in all of our circles. And trust me, there's a lot of people that need mercy. And one day when we do get to heaven, I don't want us to look back with regret to say, I, I could have prayed more. I could have given more of my life. I think there's a song we sing here at church. It's like, uh, I don't want to regret. Uh, oh, because when I see your face, I wish I'd given more away. Mm-hmm. So don't let me miss a trial. Don't let me miss a trial. Don't let me miss the chance to pray. Yeah. Don't let me waste a trial. Don't let me waste a trial. Don't miss it. So when I see your face, don't let me waste a what? A trial. So a trial. It's, it says. Uh, when I see your face, I'll wish that I had given more away. So don't let me waste a trial. Don't let me miss the chance to pray. And that's what I want us to be. That's what I want us to do. Don't miss the chance now. This is a short life we live. It is not just about getting your ticket punched. Like the ticket punch is the first stop, you know. But after that, you know, it's about fulfilling the Great Commission, building disciples. Um, so, and then the third thing is uh, praying for mercy. We already talked about that just now. Um, I, I feel like I'm repeating the same thing, but it's very repetitive. Um, and being persistent. Persistent and diligent and fervent. Um, this is all going to come into play too. We haven't even talked about like how to pray for the lost and stuff like that. Um, but that's something we're going to do when we start talking about our like discipleship uh, series where we're, I'm going to teach everyone how to build disciples in a very simple way. Uh, step one is praying for a person of peace in your neighborhood. Praying for that person that, you know, the Lord just brings to you. And that takes intercession. Lord, hey, like, we, when me and Mo first moved here, we walked around the neighborhood 
all the time and like hardly hardly stopped and had conversations uh, but when we started getting this message of like praying for a person in peace we started praying we started having conversations with people and it never was like hey have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we gotta tell you about something gotta tell you about Jesus it was just starting normal conversations and letting it flourish and letting the Lord highlight the people he wanted to highlight and you know it's still slow but we're, we're growing in it and so we're going to talk about that more um, but really I just wanted today to be encouraging to all of us to say like one this is a ministry we're called to and whenever there's a situation like one thing that's hard is when there's a group of people that are doing things that are completely contrary to what the Lord would do how do you pray for mercy for a person like that? You know? Like, all they've done is wrong. You know, I should be praying for a judgment. Shouldn't I? You know, I know a lot of people would say that. The role of the intercessor is always to pray for mercy. And it's hard sometimes, especially if you're really close to somebody. Yeah. And they're doing everything wrong. Yeah. And you want to pray. You should pray for mercy. Right. <laughs> right. It's the uh, keeping coals on your own head. <laughs> or when those people are doing wrong to you. Right, right, when you're being wrong. Are you going to contend for judgment or contend for mercy? Um, a phrase that's always stuck with me is, you know, if you could see what the Lord's judgment on your worst enemy, you would pray for them daily, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It, like, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Woo! I read Job and I get shivers and chills when well, he says, well, stand before me like a man. Think, think of um, eight people uh-huh. being saved in the ark mm-hmm. and everybody else gone. Wiped off. Eight people. Mm-hmm. Yep. When they, what is it? They estimate that there was probably millions yeah. and millions yeah. of people here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like, God's, but God's judgment is good. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, that's why, like, in our own lives, um, Josh and I have some church hurts, and um, it was very, it was very easy to like want to be bitter about it and like want to wish judgment on them. Mm-hmm. But like, I always felt, you know, the Lord was like, no, you need to forgive them, pray for their mercy, you yes, know, pray for that. And like, shortly after, like a few years after, there was like all this stuff that was revealed about the church that wow. did like wrong by us, and like there was a lot of like sexual sin, and the church split three ways, and like. It was a mess. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, no wonder like, yeah. people were getting hurt by this church. Right. Like, there needs to be mercy. Right. And it was kind of like a bittersweet kind of like, they got what was coming to them, I guess. Sure, but like, sure. dang, that was not what I like. Well, and that's mercy yeah. for things like that to be exposed. And that's yeah. the thing. When we come to intercession, we have an idea of what mercy should look like and what mm-hmm. judgment should look like. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all these intercessors we read about. They, they didn't play out the whole story in their head. All they did was obey what they were supposed to do, which is contend for mercy, agree with the judgments, and, you know, trust in God's character. He'll do the right thing. He'll figure it out. So Moses, on that, that whole thing, he said, you know, don't do this. What, what will the nation say? And God's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to consume them. But he did follow it up with judgment. And that judgment, he sent a plague on them. It's <laughs> so sad. He sent a whole plague on them. And then also they had the 40-year judgment where they were wandering in the wilderness, contemplating, and he gave them time. That was a mercy to to repent. 
Mercy doesn't mean you get off scot-free. Mercy sometimes is discipline. And it, but, yeah, so I think it's very important for us to pray for mercy. And you probably got what you prayed for with that church, you know, like just being exposed like that. It look the way that we thought it would. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> just to kind of make sure there is a differentiation, 40 years is because of the, uh, the spies. spies coming back right. and giving a poor report. That's true, that's true. And it's the lack of faith on Israel's it's true. part that God will actually be able to deliver <clears throat> right. right, right. That leads them to that point. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, they still got plagued. They still got disciplined. So, you know, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Poor Israelites. They had a bad... Snakes. They had such an easy job. You know, it's like... And that's that's when we read the Old Testament and we go, ah, that's me. <laughs> it's easy yeah. to go, what a bunch of dummies. But, like, put yourself in that position. How many hundreds of years have they kept it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we are just as prone to wander. Um... I have two things sure, go ahead. to say. Yeah. One of them is to recommend a book. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you allow that? Here? Yes, totally. Yeah. The first thing is uh, uh, 15 years ago, we were in a small home church, uh-huh. and uh, because of Carol's health condition, uh, we had to leave, and it, and it kind of dissolved at the, sure. the same time. But... Um, I walk this street every morning with my dog, uh-huh. and I was down there on that corner yesterday. Many of our friends have died. Uh-huh. You know, when you reach 80, yeah, sure. <laughs> things start decreasing. Yeah. Right, right. And um, I was on that corner, and I said, Lord, Carol and I could really use some friends, and we really need to get involved yeah. spiritually. Because we've been having home church with Carol and me and the dog. Um, And as I walked up the street, I saw Monica. It's the first time I've seen her in about six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been so cold. And I asked to see. Every Sunday I come up to here and I see all these cars here. Yeah. It didn't take me too long to figure out why you have a parking lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... That was an answer to prayer. Awesome. It was an answer to my prayer, too. Did you know that? I don't think I told you that part. No. Since the end of last year, I've been praying for more, like, older generations to be a part of our church. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're all pretty much in our 20s or so. And so, I feel like there's... The oldest person here is, I think, 32? No. Josh will be 32 in two months. So 32 yeah. is like our oldest individual. Yeah. But, uh, I have a, a hearing problem. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> My wife keeps saying I have a hearing, but I really don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Selective hearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and your toilet is running. It's I don't running. have a healing. Oh, I can take a look at it. Oh, is it a white? This is a white oh, oh, in the baby's room, I have a sound oh. machine on. Oh, okay. So that's gotcha. what you're hearing. Okay. Yep. I, I can't Thank see. you. He no. Hears. <laughs> I mean, he sees all here. So You're a perfect combo. Yeah. The, the other thing is um, for my 80th birthday, uh, a close friend gave me a book called um, A Letter to the Church. Yeah. The American Church. Church. <laughs> letter to the American <coughs> Church. A Letter to the American Church. Now, there's been a number of books uh-huh. have been written. As a letter to the American church. Right, sure. 
This one's different. Oh. It's written by a man by the name of Eric Metaxas. Oh, oh yeah. I know. And he wrote a biography yeah. of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which yeah. I started to read. <laughs> it's a thick one. I think I've got it in the other room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, the book basically illustrates or that the Lutheran Church in Germany mm -hmm. during the 30s mm -hmm. and 40s uh, that we're following in their footsteps as um, see no evil, right. hear no evil. Right. Yeah, they become complicit. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I would recommend that church. That one. Yeah, that book. that's that's a great recommendation. Yeah, I, I highly recommend Eric Metaxas. He's, he's a very good writer. Um, yeah, I mean that I've heard that from uh, I've heard pastors say that you know the the Holocaust in Germany, uh, it w wasn't because of like some satanic evil thing. You know, part of it was evil, but it was the silent pulpits that allowed that stuff to happen. Yeah, because yeah. the churches all grew, like you say, complicit. They didn't speak out against stuff, and they saw quote that I saw somewhere they came for the Jew and I didn't speak up for them uh -huh. and then they came for the like the homosexual and I didn't speak up for them and then they came for the pole and I didn't speak up for them and then they came for me and there was nobody to speak up for me right yeah yeah so like you're that's the other thing is your voice is powerful and then today's culture our voices are being uh, diminished you know whether that's your skin complexion your role as a Christian you know just whatever it is there's your your gender there's so many different things that people are trying to cut off the legs of your voice um, and you know what I've always said this and I'll continue to say this like people can cut your public voice all they want but in private it, it's the Lord who, who brings us into public like if the Lord wants to give me a voice it's not going to be cut down by any person it's not going to be diminished because I'm a white Christian man. It's, it's not going to be diminished because of that. If the Lord's speaking through me, his voice will be heard. And if it does start getting knocked out, it's going to be because I'm probably falling away from him. And he you know? promises that his word, uh -huh. not our voice, but his word will never return void. That's right. That's right. Yep. They're the kind of promises that we need to hold on to. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that uh, is key for an intercessor and especially in today's generation, is that we would uh, read the scriptures and believe the scriptures without any need for proof in the physical world, if that makes sense. Uh, meaning, even if the world is falling down all around us and nothing looks like it's going according to scripture, that we would hold scripture in a higher light and view and trust that more than we would trust what's around us in our yeah. senses. Uh, that's the role of an intercessor and a prophet. Read all the prophets. I mean, the prophets were calling out things that weren't before they were, you know, and it's it's a hard job. You know, was it uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah that God's like, you're going to speak to a people and you're going to preach the truth to them and they're going to reject your message. But you're, gonna, you're called to preach to the people who are going to reject you. Sometimes that's what it takes. So... Got to get used to rejection and the words no. Yeah. I'm already there. <laughs> yeah, th th I, I knew this was going to be heavy. 
I, I want it to be heavy. But I also want you to know there's joy in it. Okay. Like, imagine being able to say, like, I'm God's friend. And not just, like, oh yeah, I'm God's friend because it says it, but actually experiencing being God's friend. Actually experiencing waking up and, you know, spending time with Him. I mean, that's something I, I want. And the Lord knows the desires of our hearts. And when it's aligned with the kingdom, he wants to give it. So, um, I, I want this to be encouraging, but also, like, challenging. Um, so, does anybody have anything else? One of the things that was interesting uh, about Moses uh -huh. and when God wanted to destroy the people. Right. <clears throat> Moses reminded God of his promise yes. and not that God had forgotten right. his promise mm -hmm. but um, sometimes it's good for us to remind God of his promises yes. uh, simply because they work in us yeah. you know he already knows yeah. you know Lord you promised this how about it? Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. And the fact that he's inviting us to ask those questions. Like we said with the uh, verse in um, James. Like, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Like, you can repeat that to yourself to kind of hype you up. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But like, the Lord's inviting us to press in. He's inviting us to say, this is your word. And I don't see it happening here. I don't know how you're going to do it, and I'm not going to dictate and tell you, Lord, how to do it. Do your word. Let your word be accomplished. Just do it. Just do it. Do, do the word. And, and that's what the Lord is wanting. He, he desires. He, he can do all this stuff by himself easy in the blink of an eye. What is the whole role of the fact that we're even here? Is the to fact prepare that God, us for heaven. Right. To be able to do what we're supposed to do in the next life. Right. And the, the original intent of all of creation in the garden was that God could have a human family. That's what he wanted. A human family. And so, I gotta hold on to that. One thing I wanted to add is, I think I, one of the words that has been put on my heart a lot this read around of the Bible is I think early on, and this kind of goes into interceding in Jesus, or God has always preferred grace over judgment right and i think very early on it's oh it stood out to me a lot more this go around um but there's a phrase that gets set often right now that he's in the part where he's kind of creating his covenant with the people of israel yeah. he says i will punish the generations that right. love me up to the third and fourth generation right but love the love those who love me to the thousandth generation mm. So the power of judgment only gets to about three or four generations yeah. before he relents. That's huge. But he loves up to a thousand generations. Yeah. 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 I that's, love that phrase. Oh man, that's so good. That's a really good thing to bring up. Yeah, I mean, we could just go through the whole story of the Bible. How many times the Lord... Because uh, we read the Bible, I read the Bible last month. Uh, and just that sounds so crazy. I know, uh, but you know the whole thing no. as you read through no, hold it. On, hold on. 
when he says that, he means he read the entire Bible in a month. Oh, right. Not he just read the Bible a month. Yeah, yeah. It's been a month since I read the Bible. Uh, no, I, I did a challenge. Angel did it with me for like two weeks. I yeah, I try to keep up. It's, it's pretty a good. Lot. We read it's like the Bible. Three hours of reading every day. Read the Bible in a month. And uh, but the whole goal is to get the story of the Bible. When you read through the story of the Old Testament, you're just like, yeah. are you serious? Are you guys really turning away again? Oh, like, oh what is uh, it? Uh, uh, all the names? Oh, all the genealogies. Genealogy again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the genealogies are hard. They're so much fun. Yeah, they are. But no, like you read the story and you're like, what's that? Yeah, sure. Go with Mama. Um, yeah, you go through it and you just see over and over and over and over again the unfaithfulness of the people. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, why is God still doing this? You know how easy it would be for him to just wipe it out? Nobody would have to know. He could pull the uh, men in black, the little thing that makes you forget everything. Nobody would know. And he could just start over all fresh. But man, he is so... Kind of, yeah. He did that. Yeah. And look how it worked out. Yeah, right. It still didn't get any better. It didn't get much better. (laughs) And yet he still, he still goes through with it. He does that with us. He does that with us every day. Every morning his mercies are brand new. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's so good. Um, God wants to do this thing with us. He could easily do it right now on the snap of a finger, but... He longs to partner with us. I always love the story of Adam in the garden because God brings all the animals up to Adam and he says, what do you think that's called? Adam's like, called? What do you mean? It's like, a name. Give it a name. Shrew. Uh, dog. God's like, did you say shrew? Yeah. <laughs> Adam's like, dog. God's like, nice. I like that. Dog. This shall be named Dog. He goes to all the animals. <laughs> and he said it all in English, too. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't in English. But, you know, it, it, it's stories like that that are involved, like they're part of the scripture for us to read and to think about. Why would God put that there? Because it's important. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to just do, do all the naming and work. He could do it. He's impressed with himself already. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody that he's good at it. But he wants to have a human family that he can do it with. So, all right. I'm going to pray. Bless our time. Um, Yeah. Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for um, our new friends Dick and Carol for coming and joining us today. It's just been, been really nice having them around. Um, and I just thank you for everybody else that's here. Father, I just pray that today's message wouldn't just be a, oh yeah, we had a good time at church today, and oh yeah, we talked about some good stuff, but it would be something that like burns in our hearts. That the, the role of intercession would be something that's uh, imprinted on our minds. Um, not just for intercession's sake, but that we would understand why you're calling us to this. That we would do it with you. That we would have a relationship with you. Um, Father, that, that all of this would just draw us closer to you, to know you more and to experience you more deeply. Um, so we just ask that you would move in us, that uh, intercession would become a part of each one of our daily lives, 
and uh, that you, you and your name would be glorified overall. So we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope today's teaching blessed you. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.